Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Father, I thank you so much for uh, the privilege of standing up here to teach your word. And Lord, uh, without your help, without your Holy Spirit, without your anointing, I can do nothing that would make any difference, Lord, in any life today, mine or anyone here. And Lord, I pray that, that you be involved in this, that your spirit have its way, that have control over everything that's said, uh, the words that are spoken, and how they're received, Lord, that it all be for your glory, that we can get to know you better this morning, that we can be equipped better to serve you, that we can love you more and love one another more. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Almost 10 years ago to the day, I didn't realize it until last night, as happened to look and see, I got a message uh, very similar to this, and ever since then I have been looking for an opportunity to use this, the, my examples again. So, you know, if you, were hap- if you happened to be here 10 years ago and heard some of these things, uh, yes, I have mentioned them before. But I haven't mentioned them before now because I just haven't had the opportunity or the Lord leading me this way. But uh, to me, it's a it's a very important message. When we look at at the letter to the Corinthians, you know the Corinthians were Greeks, and the the Greeks loved rhetoric, and anybody that could wow them with words of wisdom. Oh, they were they were all for this. You know, for a few verses down in this same chapter, Paul says, "For Jews re- request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks wisdom." And to the Greeks, that's exactly what the message of the cross was: foolishness. And the Greeks were not unlike the world in general. The message of the cross is still foolishness to those who are perishing. Because in the opinion of those who are wise according to the world, it is foolishness. And that's why Paul in this passage sets the wisdom of words and the cross as opposites. To us who are being saved, the cross is precious the cross is the power of God to salvation in his book on a hill too far away John Fisher tells of a church in old Greenwich Connecticut with a cross in it now there's nothing unusual at all about a church with a cross in it in fact it would be far more unusual to find a church without a cross in it Crosses often adorn the church from the front wall to the top of the steeple. 
So that's not unusual, but this cross was very unusual. It was affixed permanently to the floor in front of the pulpit right in the center of the church. Now, the position defies, its position defies reason. Good reason. It defies art and good architectural design. In fact, no architect in his right mind would design such an obstruction. It's in the way of everything. Weddings, funerals, church programs, even the preaching. All has to be done around this cross. The cross stands about 10 feet tall with a crossbar way too high and out of proportion to most well-designed crosses. There's nothing pretty about it. In fact, it's ugly. It's made of raw, uh, unfinished wood complete with knots and splinters. You know, most crosses we encounter in churches are quite harmless and we pay very little attention to them except maybe if they're exceptionally ornate we may stop to admire their beauty but John Fisher writes the minute I walked into the church in Old Greenwich and encountered the startling placement of the cross I felt as if I had discovered something truly significant for just as the cross has been placed squarely in the center of the church so it has always stood in the center of history and the center of any life that has truly embraced it. Just as the placement of this cross seems uncomfortable, and so it is, and so it should be, there is nothing comfortable about the cross. This raw wooden cross in the middle of the floor manages to defy the efforts we make to soften its blow. You know, down through the centuries, the church has tried to soften the blow of the cross. We've tried to make it more acceptable to the world, to lessen the stigma associated with it, and to eliminate from it any form of pain and discomfort associated with the cross to which Jesus was nailed. The beautifully ornate crosses that adorn church buildings and which we wear on jewelry around in our necks bear very little resemblance to the word to the cross that George Bernard wrote about when he penned the words to his famous hymn on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain of course the cross itself you know has no magical powers we're not going to use it to scare away werewolves or or vampires or or even the devil it was who who was nailed to that cross that made it significance that made all the difference and having a cross stuck in the middle of the church really won't make any difference in our lives unless we embrace its meaning and remember who it was and why it was that Jesus was nailed to the cross. But it does help remind us of the importance of the cross and that it is the power of God to us who are being saved.
in our culture today, we've managed to, to not only to ornamentalize the cross, we've managed to almost eliminate it altogether. At best, it's been reduced to hanging harmlessly in the background and to accessorize the decor. But our marginalization of the cross is only a symptom of what's going on. The real problem is that the cross of Jesus is no longer central in our lives. It's not central in our worship. It's seldom preached from the pulpits of this country anymore. And so it is certainly not central to the lives of our people. When the cross is preached at all, it too often isn't the old rugged cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. But it's a polished, ornate version that's quite comfortable, quite easy to look at, quite easy to live with. It doesn't get in our way, and it certainly doesn't require anything of us. In his book, John Fisher asked the following question. I wonder if you would agree with the following view of the cross of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ was a once-for-all substitution of the Son of God in my place so that I would not have to suffer but could enjoy the abundant life he purchased for me. Now John Fisher wasn't talking about the suffering, the torments of hell, but he was talking about suffering in this present life. And it's a common view today and it was the view that the church at Corinth was holding on to. It's a common view today, at least not, if not in theory, it is in practice. That Jesus did all the work so that we get all the benefits. And that's the view that Paul had to contend with for the church at Corinth. But, you know, it doesn't square very well with what Jesus told his followers. In Mark 8:34, he said, When he called the people to himself and with his disciples, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I had a pastor friend tell me one time that he wasn't really sure what Jesus was talking about here, take up his cross. You know, Many people seem to think, and I hear this all the time, you know, that the cross is something, our cross is something that we have to put up with in our life, that we have to contend with. You know, this, whatever it is, is my cross to bear. You know, sometimes it may be something very, very significant, something very difficult, something very hard and taxing. Other times it may just be something more inconvenient that people refer to as their cross to bear. But you know, if you ask any school-age kid in Israel in Jesus' time what Jesus was talking about when he said, you must take up your cross and follow me, they could tell you exactly what he was talking about. The cross is a place of death. The cross was a favored form of execution of the Romans. They didn't invent it. They just perfected it. They used it in most, if not all, of their conquered territories as a deterrent to insurrection because it was such a painful, awful 
way of execution. The person hanging on the cross could suffer for hours if not for days and and crucifixions were normally done in public places usually along uh, well-traveled highways so that people could see the crucified and be reminded of the power of the Roman Empire and be warned not to cross them. You know, the Corinthian church to which Paul was writing in our, our text today was having problems not unlike the church in America today. The root problem was that they were not letting the cross of Jesus have its crucifying effect on their lives. They saw the cross as necessary to get over the problem of sin, but it wasn't necessary for their everyday lives. For that reason, boasting, quarreling, divisions, and so forth had erupted at the church in Corinth. You know, when we're dead to Christ and our life is hidden with Him, we don't worry about petty differences, do we? Because then we can say along with the Apostle Paul, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. What's happened to cause us to have a Christianity devoid of the cross is a good example when we try to do the right thing the wrong way. In our zeal to bring as many people to Christ as possible, we have tried to make the cost of discipleship cheap and easy. Just as I am, which is, you know, was popularized a lot by the Billy Graham Crusades, and it's the only way we can come to Christ. Just as I am. But just as I was isn't the way that we're supposed to leave, because we are to be changed when we have an encounter with Him. God does accept us just like we are. We don't have the power to change ourselves, but he has the power to change us and to conform us into the image of his son. And that power comes from the cross to which he was nailed. But we've traded the mourner's bench for the psychiatrist's couch and meeting the felt needs of the people is far more important than the recognition that it is sin that separates us from a holy God. In the 20th, the 20th century church began a quest to keep up with the changing times and to come more relevant to a changing society. And as a result, wound up being a powerless relic. Here again, I have to agree with John Fisher when he says, I am not so sure that I want all my needs met, but I am sure that I want to meet God. Jesus died to save us from our sins, but not to save us from the cross. He died that we too may die to ourselves with the assurance that we will find new life, complete life, and eternal life in Him.
He said, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In Romans 6, 6, Paul said, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died once to sin for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We must never let the cross lose its crucifying power in our lives. We must never consign the cross to a place in ancient history as though Jesus died a long time ago for sinners and we can live as we please. As the old hymn said, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? Now there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. Now, of course, the physical cross that Jesus died on was something that happened over around 2,000 years ago. But it is such a significant event in history that it at once became more than that. It became, and it is, for all who embrace it, a way of life. For Jesus, the cross was not easy. It was not comfortable. It was not something that he would have chosen had there been any other way. This is illustrated best, I think, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed to the Father, you know, if it be your will that this cup pass from me, but nevertheless your will be done. To put that in more modern terms, he was saying, Father, if there's a plan B, now is the time to implement it. But there was no plan B. There was no other way. If there was any way of salvation apart from the death of Jesus on the cross, it would have been done. So anytime somebody tells you that Jesus is just one way or that there are many ways to heaven, many ways to God, Remind them of this. Because it was in that garden that the Father said, you know, there is only one way. I want to point out that there's a big difference between the cross of Jesus and the cross that we bear. Of course, the obvious difference was that that Jesus was nailed to a cross and and died uh, a physical death. But the cross that Jesus carried also came with the full weight of sin of the sins of the world it also carried the curse that god had placed on the world when mankind sinned galatians 3:13 says christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree 
Why did he have to become a curse? Because we were under the curse. The same curse that God placed on the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. Galatians 3.10 For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And that is all of us. You may say, well, I was never under the law. There's only two ways possible to get to heaven. One is to, to keep the law. You say, wait a minute, I thought there was no, there's no other way. Well, yeah, I guess technically speaking there's not, but if you, know, you could keep the law 100%, totally, completely, without fail, then you would earn heaven. The only problem is we cannot do that. It is totally, completely, altogether impossible because we are born into sin. The only other way is to accept Jesus' righteousness. So whether we ever acknowledge the law or not, we were born under the law. So everyone was born under the curse. When Jesus fulfilled the law by paying the penalty, the curse was broken. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been crucified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God is just and will not punish us twice for the same sin. The price has been paid. All means all to the world yes the cross Christ is the cross is foolishness but to us who are being saved it is the power of God in that old rugged cross stained with blood so divine a wondrous beauty I see for it was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me to the world, the cross may be foolishness, but to us who are being saved, a wondrous beauty we see. We see the love of a Savior, a love that compelled him to suffer the anguish, the pain, the humility, and worst of all, the separation from his Father so that we could have life eternal. In the sanctuary of our hearts, there should be a cross. A cross not unlike the cross in the church of in Old Greenwich, Connecticut. A cross which is at the center of everything. We shouldn't just sit in its shadow on Sunday mornings. We mustn't polish it up and hang it around our necks or stick it on the wall when we want to appear religious. Now there's nothing wrong with wearing a cross around your neck. There's nothing wrong with having a cross in the church. Now, the cross that is in our heart is the one 
that we should be most concerned with. Is the cross the center of our life? And is it an old rugged cross that demands that you pick it up every day to the crucifying of the flesh? Or is the cross in your heart a beautiful, ornate, polished version that has attached to it very little commitment and at best momentary inconvenience? What kind of cross is at the center of your life? Is what shapes the relationship that you have with the one who bore the old rugged cross. Can we along with the Apostle Paul say I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me we must continually examine our hearts examine our lives Examine our, our walk. We can't just die once to sin. We have to die daily. And it takes a daily, if not hourly, and for me sometimes by the minute even, commitment to making sure that the cross is at the center of my life and that it is not a beautiful, ornate, comfortable cross, but it conforms more to the old rugged cross that our Lord and Savior died on. I hope and pray that you have accepted Him and that you have come to that cross. If not, please see me or Pastor Bill or somebody you know, after service. If you have, and you're not sure just what part of your life the cross plays, he's there for us all the time, always. Lisa.